0: I'm excited about this coming month. I mentioned our new series in uh, Sunday School with uh, uh, studying the book of Daniel. And, uh, of course, we're going to be studying a parable um, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And, um, you know, like I said, we're doing the epistle here on Sunday mornings in Philippians. And you can be turning there if you'd like to go ahead and get that started. But um, ladies' Bible study over in Genesis. And um, all different uh, types of literature from Scripture, right? And I, I love teaching the Word, and I love preaching the Word. Um, but one of the things that really excites me is when we're studying different uh, areas of Scripture, whether that be prophecy or uh, parables, or, uh, you know, we just finished Proverbs in Sunday school, or um, y- y- whatever the area is, um, how do we approach God's Word? How do we learn from it? How do we apply it and understand it? And sometimes there are little differences in how we approach different aspects of, of literature. Uh, what, what do you do when Jesus is telling a story of, of an event that didn't actually happen, but he's telling the story to teach a point? You know, that, that may be different in how we approach it and think about it than a letter written to a church, a real church with real people. And um, I, I'm really excited for all these different ways we're going to be able to look at the Word and, and understand that. So I encourage you to take advantage of as much as you can. Uh, I realize you may not be able to come to everything, but as much as possible, um, do encourage you to be out for that. So we're in Philippians 1, and uh, we're going to be uh, continuing our series on model maturity uh, here in the book of Philippians. And uh, this morning... The uh, title is very simple, Why We Joyfully Pray, Why We Joyfully Pray, and so with that we're going to be looking at one of Paul's prayers, um, begins here in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3, and uh, we'll read that together here. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making, all making, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the de- defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be challenged uh, by, by what is before us, Lord. The example of your apostle Paul crying out in prayer on behalf of those he loved and church he planted. Father, we 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 pray that this purpose behind Paul's prayer, this heart behind what he prayed would would just grip us, that we would Father, just be, be moved by his love uh, for this church and that we too would, would examine ourselves in light of that love. And, and Father, find if, if we love others in this way, that we have these type of relationships. And Father, help us to, to see the, what's lacking in our lives that may need to change, that, that we would be more like Christ and have this heart for other believers. Uh, Father, we, we ask that today... Uh, we would take truth seriously and seek to change, to be more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Well, one of the things that we have here is this account of, of one of Paul's prayers. And obviously, this is right at the beginning of the, the letter. Uh, we went through together the, the, the greeting before, right? As Paul just sort of said hello and uh, said who it was from. And um, we worked through that together last time. But now he starts off with something that is common. Uh, a, a prayer uh, giving thanks, right? Often in the letters, the epistles, Paul will, after the greeting, start with a, a, a little bit of a prayer of thanks, right? Saying that he's thankful for them. A- and so with that, we're going we're gonna to consider um, Paul an apostle, right? A mature believer. And, and he lifts up this joyful prayer for other believers. And that, that's what's pouring out of his soul before us this morning and and so what is it that he is rejoicing over as he prays what is it that God would have us to rejoice over when we pray and and so what what can we consider in in our own prayer lives with that looking at where our own prayer lives deficient perhaps you ever feel like you're in a rut in your prayer life Right? You, you keep saying the same things over and over again. Um, it, I, I think it's easy. I, I catch myself at times right, where you, you get into the habit and uh, you, know, you sit down to eat and before you know it, the words just flew out of your mouth and you're done praying and you don't remember what you said, but you, you figure it was probably the same thing you said at the last meal. Because right? you, you get in such a routine in doing things without even thinking about it. I mean, I've actually uh, had to just stop and pray twice because I got convicted after the first prayer, right? And I had to go back and pray again because I was convicted that I prayed the first time and didn't even think through what I was saying. I'm sure it's not just me. What is on Paul's heart when he's praying, and and with that, what should we be actually rejoicing over? What are some of the things we ought to be thinking about as we pray? You know, when we talk about prayer, um, I I had a professor actually who taught on this topic of prayer, it was a whole class on prayer, and um, he he described it this way, he said, our greatest need on this subject is not to be told to pray, and and it's not to be taught about prayer, and and it's not to be told how to pray, but it's to be shown how to pray. And one of the great things that we have in Scripture is we have models of prayer for us over and over again, right? We have these model prayers in Scripture where, where we look at the heart of the one praying as they lifted up their requests and their joys and their thanksgiving and all of these things before God. We say, wow, that's what prayer looks like in Scripture, and if we take those seriously, right, if we take those not just as, oh yeah, Paul, Paul liked the Philippians, right, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Oh yeah, Paul was praying for the Philippians. And instead, we take it to heart and we say, wow, what, what does a mature believer's prayer life look like? Boy, I wish I had that kind of prayer life, right? We, we take it to heart and it's not just about, oh yeah, that happened back then. And instead it becomes, oh God, I want to pray like that too. Thank you for the example. Then we start looking at these prayers differently. All of a sudden it's not just about what happened. Now it's about what God would have me to do as well. You know, prayer itself involves the worship of God. When we talk about worshiping God... Right, and, and we, we've talked about this even on Wednesday night not too long ago, this, this aspect of worship, maybe it was Sunday school, right? but, but this aspect of worship, right, what is worship about? You know, we, we, we live in a world today where the idea of worship has almost been, like, relegated to it's the music set, right, it's the music time and that's worship, and, and that's not what Scripture says. I mean, they, there are so many different components of, of, of worship and that certainly that includes worship, worshiping God, singing to Him. That includes that. But it, but it also includes the preaching of His Word. It, it includes giving due diligence and attention to His Word. It, it includes, uh, as well, our prayer life, right? And lifting up our requests before God. Even giving is an act of worship. There are so many ways in which God would have us to worship Him, And one of those ways is our actual prayer life and what it looks like. And when we're talking about a prayer of thanksgiving, that actually is worship to God. Let's look at a couple of these prayers of thanksgiving uh, that we find in Scripture. Daniel 6, verse 10, speaks to this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Okay, so Daniel set up a practice of thanksgiving where three times a day he would kneel and give thanks before God. I mean, his, his prayer time is, is actually described as being about thanksgiving. I mean, that, that is the adjective that Scripture uses here. And so three times a day he, he would go and, and give his thanks to God. Do, I mean, let's be real for a moment. Do we even slip in the word thanks in the midst of all those little prayers before meals and other places and before bed? You, you understand what I'm saying? Do, do, do we even get it in there at all? This was his focus three times a day. The, the prayer itself is categorized as a time of thanks for that purpose. Thanksgiving matters to God. It is an area of worship of God. First Timothy 2, beginning verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. What is it? Commanded there, right? Paul reminding Timothy. Hey, we, we said before our greatest need on the subject is not to be told to pray. But it may be a need, Right? It doesn't mean that it's not a need. Uh, we may need to hear that. Spend time in prayer. We, we may need to hear that. Uh, we, we need to be intentional about having prayer life. 1 Timothy 4, verse 3, "...forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to receive, be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of, of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving." for it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So what do we do? Often we pray before meals. That's not a bad thing. Give thanks to God for your food. We, we see these prayers of thanksgiving, and, and certainly it, it appears in, in different places. Nothing wrong with praying before your meal. Okay? I don't want you to get that idea. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What is it that God would have us to offer up as our sacrifice to Him? Well, to praise Him with our lips and give thanks to His name. All right, so, so with this background, as we talk about prayer and thanksgiving being an essential part of prayer, what does this prayer of, of thanksgiving look like? One of, the, one of the things that we see here is that this prayer is, is joyful, right? It is joyful prayer. And uh, Philippians one, uh, beginning of verse three, right. That first verse started off. I thank God, thank my God, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, making request with joy, for the fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So I give thanks to God, right? I give thanks to to God in my remembrance of you as I think about you. Okay. So here's Paul. He's saying to the believers at Philippi. I'm thanking God as I think about you, right, in my remembrance of you, and, and making requests with joy. All right, so as I am giving him thanks, I am doing so joyfully on your behalf. And he goes on in this last part, right, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so two things are, are described in regard to this Friendship, and we can use that term. That was sort of our study in Sunday school. But, but two two ideas here uh, regarding this friendship that's expressed between Paul and the believers at Philippi. Uh, the the first has to do with their their partnership in the gospel. Right, we see it there for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so why is Paul offering up this joyful prayer? He's offering up joyful prayer to God, giving him thanks. Why? For, for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That, that word fellowship, you know, what, what, what does that actually mean? Fellowship in the gospel. What does it mean to do that? I, I think that could be kind of a tricky word in a sense. Does it mean that they're both believers? Um, well, they, they are both believers, right? They, they've both trusted Christ. But in this case, fellowship even has a little bit more to it, right? This goes beyond that. This would be something like partnership right? Partnership in the gospel. And so as we, we talk about maybe partnering the gospel, what are some ways that we could partner in the gospel with somebody? Well, let's, let's specifically look at what we know from scripture about what the Philippians have actually done for Paul in this account, right? What have they done to demonstrate partnership in the gospel with Paul? Uh, first, first verse that we're going to look at here is in Acts 16, 15. This has to do with Lydia. Right? She's the she in this verse. Um, when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So what does she do? She gives them a place to stay. Right? Lydia comes to Christ and she says, Stay, I, I, you know, come, here's a place for you all to stay and rest while you're here. All right, the next account. Here's the Philippian jailer. Acts 16, verse 34. When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What did the Philippian jailer do? He fed them. He said, come on in, eat with us, have a meal, meet my family. And, and so that's the hospitality that Paul and those with him received there. Uh, let's, let's look at what the church at Philippi did. This time, while Paul was um, over in... Uh, Thessalonica, and uh, Philippians 4.16. Paul reminds them of this in this letter to Philippi. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. He said, when I was away, you sent things for me. You supported me. You supplied me, even when I wasn't with you. And it wasn't just at Thessalonica. It's happened also when Paul was in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11.9. When I was present with you and wanted, speaking of those in Corinth now, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. Okay, Macedonia. uh, We're talking about Philippi. It's in Macedonia. Uh, There are a couple other little churches that may have assisted in that, but the primary one, the primary city is Philippi up in Macedonia. We could Perhaps call it even the the capital of Macedonia, so to speak. It is the major city of that region, and so so when when Paul gives thanks for for them reaching out to him from Macedonia, he is first and foremost speaking about those at Philippi here. All right, let's look at another example from uh, Corinth. This time, Second Corinthians eight. Um, Beginning in verse one says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying with us much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. All right, so we, we went through some examples here, right? From Lydia offering up her home as a place to stay, from the Philippian jailer saying, come on in and eat and have some food. Examples of when Paul's in Thessalonica and, and those in Philippi send over to meet his need, perhaps financially, perhaps with food and other means. And, and, and this continues. Same thing happens in Corinth. You know, when, when Paul is speaking to the church in Corinthian, he's saying, don't think I came to take anything from you, right? Don't, don't think I came to, to take from you all, because you didn't have to give me anything, because the people in Philippi took care of me, right? I mean, I mean it, 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 to a degree, that's kind of a slap in the face, right? I mean, we, we don't, when Paul writes to Philippi, he just says, thank you all so much, you've been such a blessing. He He's is, he is just giving thanks to God for joy. When he writes to Corinth, he says, hey, don't think I came to get rich. Right? You didn't have to give me anything. Philippi took care of me. I mean, in essence, you can see a difference in the heart of those who are receiving the letters from Paul by the way in which he writes to them. And so when when he writes to, to those at Philippi, he he is saying, as it, as it said here, um, that that. Um, that they were willing to give of themselves. Right? They first gave of their own selves, as it says here, to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God. Their hearts were right with God, and then they were willing to give. I mean that that's what, what he's saying. So so what does what does this this text that we've looked at this morning, this partnership in the gospel, what does that look like? Well, some of it is housing provision, some of it's food provision, some of it is financial provision. That's true. But Paul notes here even what's first, right? They gave their own selves to the Lord. And and that has to do with the partnership in the gospel message itself. They understood the message of the gospel. And and so when when they heard the truth, when they heard the teaching of the word, they took it and they, they took it to heart. They applied it to themselves and and, and their love for God overflowed. And they said, you know, Paul, you know how you live your life for Jesus? We want to live our lives that way, too. We want our lives to be about pleasing Jesus. And, and you know, what, once they had done that, you know, when, when Paul is going around sharing the gospel, I have no doubt, you know, what these Philippian believers were doing, those believers at Philippi? They're going around sharing the gospel, They're telling others about it. And not only that, they're concerned about what Paul is doing because they obviously keep track of him, right? They know how to send food to Thessalonica and take care of him, food and money there. They they know when he's at Corinth and he needs help, they send money there and take care of him. They know what's going on and they look after him. They're partners in the gospel. And that's what they offer before him. Are there folks that you know who are active in gospel ministry, whether it's here in the church or outside of the church, where you are partners with them in the gospel? I I can think of, of, of of some of the most enjoyable times in my life where I had a partner in the gospel, Right, so somebody who who would uh, we we could go and, and we we'd get together and we'd go and we we'd talk to somebody about Jesus, right? We we'd share the gospel with them, and, and they would go and, and different times in their life they were out and around town and and they're they're talking to people about Christ and they come back and they said, Hey, I, I met I met Sarah at Starbucks and uh, we we were talking about Christ and. You, you know, Sarah Sarah never understood that that just going to church doesn't save you, but that you have to really trust Christ as your personal savior. He has you have to understand you're a sinner and, and believe in him to be saved. She never understood that. She just thought she she went to church her whole life and so she was okay. She thought everything was fine. Just kind of love Jesus in general and, and that's fine. He said, but I took her through the gospel and I showed her the truth. And Sarah didn't get saved. But she left knowing what the truth was. And, and, and she was thinking about it. Can you, pl- can you please pray for Sarah? You know what a joyful prayer is? God, would you please save Sarah? And, and you know what people who do that with you? They're partners in the gospel. Just like those at Philippi. God, God would you work on behalf of... Of, of, of those back at Philippi, Paul's praying for them. Work, work on behalf of, of, of these partners in the gospel who are sharing the gospel at Philippi. Those at Philippi, God, God, protect Paul, preserve his life, keep him sharing the truth, encourage him, Lord. When he tells the truth about who you are, soften the hearts of the hearers. You want joyful prayer. You want to have joyful prayer, then then pray like Paul was, giving thanks with joy for their partnership in the gospel. That's why he was giving thanks. You know, we have opportunities and we're certainly blessed today with our missionaries. And we hear about what they're doing. We we hear about what's going on and we hear about where they're sharing the gospel. I've been so excited with uh, Don and Leanne Waits in Slovakia as uh, they've had all these young adults start attending their church recently. And, and they're doing these different events, you know, they're like getting together and having meals at the church. And, and they're all showing up and they're cooking and and, um, and that was cool, right? I mean that was exciting to me. Wow! Look, look at the fellowship that's going on, they're ministering to these these folks who are young in the faith, who are new believers, and, and, you know, a couple of them got married, and they, they had a baptism. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see all of that. And you're praying for those things, but, you know, I was almost even more excited when Leanne had her surgery and she was kind of down for a while. And all of a sudden, those same young adults start showing up at her house to serve her and help her and, and encourage her in the midst of that. Wow, they, they get it, right? You, you know, they, they understand how this works, and so what do we do? We pray for the waves, right? We pray for those young adults, so we, we just get excited, get overjoyed. That, that is what Paul is doing here, and we have the same opportunity before us today. All right, so not only do we see joyful prayer here, we also see confident prayer, confident prayer. Let's look ahead to verse 6 now. Being confident in this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Right, so he, he demonstrates confidence now. And so we, we've seen this thankful prayer. It's joyful. Why? Because of the partnership in the gospel. But, but also he is confident. He's not just joyful. He's also, also confident in this prayer. Why? Because what God started, he's going to complete. He's going to finish. And, and so God will finish the job. God will finish the job. Now, I want to show a little chart here, and hopefully this will help help us all kind of get on the same page in this regard. So we have a chart here. On the left side, you see the D up there. Okay, D stands for death. The L stands for life. All right, and so um, we're going to put a little uh, arrow on here. That's your life. Okay, that's your life. And, And so, in particular, it's the life of a believer. And so there's a point in time right there where someone crosses over from death unto life. You go from the one side before you are in death, you cross over into life. Say, well, pastor, where do you get it from? Well, we get it a lot of, lots of places in Scripture. Here's one example, John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Okay, so the example before us is a, a point-in-time transaction where somebody goes in their life from death unto life and that happens because he heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me and then has this everlasting life. Okay, so this is what we would call the point of salvation, right? This is, this is when, um, when someone trusts Christ as their Savior. Their eternal destiny changes right? They, where they are spending eternity has changed. It's a one point in time thing, okay? Now there's another point in time thing that happens in, in, uh, in everyone's life, uh, save, for, um, save for just a couple, <laughs> and that is you die here on earth, right? You die here on earth. And so that's another point in time thing. You see that second arrow there? Right? If you're a believer, if you pass from death into life, when you, your body dies here, right? You die on earth, you go to glory. You go to heaven. That's the G up there. Okay? So, point in time thing. Um, you're, you're here on the earth, you die, and then you have the, the presence of, of, of Jesus, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. Right. Thinking of the thief on the cross. Both point in time things. So, when we're talking about salvation. When we're talking about this, and, and as Paul says here, right, that, that I'm confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is that work that God is performing until the day of Jesus Christ? Well, once we become believers, there is a period of time in this life where we are still sinners, and we still do things that are wrong, and things that displease God, and yet he wants us to be more like Christ, right? He, he wants us to live lives that are pleasing to him, right? Whether, whatsoever you do, right? Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? We, we, we know those verses. Uh, whether absent from the body or present, uh, do, all, uh, do all things that are acceptable or pleasing to him, right? That's, that's what God would have us to do, Second Corinthians 5, 9. Um, so, so with that, right, everything we do should be pleasing to God, and we, we want that to be the case, but the fact is, is everything you do pleasing to God all the time? <laughs> no, of course not, right? We fall short of that standard. We still sin as believers, and God has given us ways to deal with sin biblically. So between those two arrows under the big L, that's life right and that's life as a believer um, we have to go through this stage of life in which we're changed and we're changed and we're made more like Jesus Christ and and that's what Paul's talking about here in verse six right he's confident of the very thing that he which b- had hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ what God started he will finish the, the work that God started in you when you trusted Christ as your Savior, he, he's going to finish the job. He's going to get it done. And, and it starts in the midst of life, right? As we deal with sin biblically and, and we seek to become more like Jesus Christ. What happened? God's still at work in your life. Yeah, this was, for, for me, this was one of the shocking truths about the Bible, uh, when, when I was not a new believer, but had been a believer for a while, but hadn't grown much. Right? This was one of those shocking truths that God still cared about my life and what happened in it, and he had a plan for it and a desire for me, and I had a responsibility before him to walk in the Spirit and do the things that honored him and pleased him. Right? That, that was shocking to me. And God didn't leave me alone in it, right? His Holy Spirit is in the midst of it. He is encouraging me. He is, he is prompting me. He, he has given me his word to teach me right from wrong. His Holy Spirit convicts me when I choose wrong. He chastens me. He says, get back in line. Right? He does all of those things because he loves me and cares about me. And the one who began a good work, he's going to finish the job. And that's what those two arrows are all about. And you know when the job's finally complete? Well, that's the second arrow, right? When I'm not in this world anymore and he perfects me and the sin is gone and I'm glorified and I spend forever and eternity with him without sin, without suffering, without pain. How about you? But that'll be a good day. All right, that'll be a good day. So, so when, when Paul lists this, he, he is talking about the very people who, who are not only partners in the gospel, but who are experiencing it day by day as God works in their lives. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what? What God is doing in me, he is doing in you, and he is changing you and molding you and conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ if you're a believer. And not only that, he'll finish the job, and one day you will be glorified, and God's going to continue this process until the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to take place. And, and, and then the work will be done. He'll take care of it. You know, it's, it's really incredible to think about what God is doing in the lives of individuals. That's a reason to give thanks to God. God, I, I, I'm thankful. Not only do I have partners in the gospel, but I'm thankful that you're working in their lives and that you're changing them. And the same stuff I'm going through, the, the same sin that, that's getting purged out of me, you're doing that in other people's lives too. But, you know, even the apostle here doesn't look so different than everybody else. We kind of get that thought in our minds sometimes, right? Just another individual saved by Christ, growing and changing, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I thought Paul is not a leader. I, I thought he is, is really the apostle here. Why is he being so personal with these people? I mean, in a sense, it's almost like he's laying himself out before them. And, and you know, th- this isn't Corinth. You know, get back in line. Stop doing that. Act right. I mean, th- this isn't that type of letter. He says, I I am thanking God for you. I am so joyful for you. You are partners in the gospel. And and God is changing us and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he's going to get the job done. And I'm so excited about it. Can can an apostle even write a letter like that? I thought they were supposed to be kind of, oops, kind of mean or something. You know, I thought they were supposed to act like they're in charge and everything. Well... Here's the, here's the question, is, is, is this, and, and we're going to skip that quote there, is this an appropriate prayer? Is this an appropriate prayer? And Paul actually gives the answer to that in the midst of it. It's almost like he thought of the, the questions that would arise from his personal letter here, and uh, verse 7 goes on and, and puts it this way, even as or just as it is meet for me to think, of, to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. All right, let's work through that just a little bit together. Let's go back to verse 7, right? Just as meet as me. In this way, all those things we just talked about, all those things, it is right of, for me to think about you all in this way. Paul said, all of that stuff we talked about before. Now, some of you, depending on your Bible version, may have different paragraphs here. Guess what? Verse 3 through verse 8, all one sentence. right? A really long sentence. Just as it is right for me to think of you all in this way. Why? Because I have you in my heart. Because I love you. Because I care for you. And, and, you know, part of the reason that that bond is so strong, why is it so strong? Why is it I love you in this way? Because in my bonds, literally in my chains here, and where's Paul writing this letter? He's in prison. He is locked up. He is likely chained to a guard at this time. That was common practice in that day. In the midst of the very chains that I'm wearing, and not only that, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. You have been used by God and not abandoned me in hard times. You've not turned your back on me. You've helped and, and supported. And, and not only that, you, you are defenders in your very life confirms the message of the gospel itself by the way you conduct yourself. And so you too are partakers of my grace. You you too experience the grace of God just as I do. Boy. Okay, Paul, I guess you can write really nicely to them, right? (laughs) What an incredible personal account. You know, this, this is not some academic letter. This is a personal, passionate letter for fellow servants in the gospel who love one another and serve one another for the sake of the gospel itself. You know, Paul, in verse 8, uses this term, for God is my record. We just say, for God is my witness, right? For God is my witness. How greatly I long after you all. In, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, we, we would say in my heart, right? We would use that term today. Right? I, I, God is my witness. I, I want so bad, deep in my heart, to be with you. I really want to be there with you. Wow. Wow. That's the start to the letter in Philippians. Okay, so, so what, is, what is this key then to, to joyful prayer? What, what is behind it? Well, there, there are two key things here that, that bring about this level of thankfulness, this level of confidence. How, how do you have others that you pray for and, and, and feel for them in this way? Well, right at the beginning, how, how, where did that joyful prayer came from, come from? Well, they, they are partners in the gospel. Have somebody who loves the Lord who will be your partner in the gospel where you can share with one another not just what God is doing in your life inside but how he's using you outside to reach other people for the Lord where you can uphold one another in prayer and encourage one another. You don't have enough joy in your life Start praying for somebody like that, right, in that way. How can you have confidence in your thanks to God? Know that God's going to complete the work. He's going to conform them and change them. Get, Get together with somebody and hear what God's doing in their life. When's the last time you have talked to somebody and shared with them, let me tell you what God's doing in my life lately? I, I, I was I was reading my word the, about the the word of God this morning. I was I was doing my devotions, and, and I was reading through it, and and God stuck His finger on this area of my life, and I had never seen that before. Isn't God awesome? Isn't He wonderful? And, and I want to, by the grace of God, change in this area. I want to be more like Christ. And can you pray for me? I know this isn't going to be easy. Could you pray for me? Do you have people you're praying for like that? Look for them. I know this is not necessarily easy because we don't like to talk to one another today, right? But one of the things that you can do is just start by finding somebody that you can crack the door open just a little bit with, right? Start there and just see where it goes. Through it all, we end with this last part, right? That, that this is appropriate. It's appropriate for Paul to share his burdens and challenges. Appropriate for those in Philippi to discuss what they were going through. This is appropriate prayer because God cares about what's on your heart. So put the things on your heart that were on the things of Paul's heart. Let God use them change us, make us more like Christ. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the example that's before us. Father, Paul truly is a model of maturity. But Lord, you have not left us just simply to hear from others, but to model that maturity ourselves as we seek to grow and become more like Christ. Father, we, we all would say that we need better prayer lives, Father, we, we pray that today you would help us to catch a glimpse, a greater glimpse, of what a truly thankful and joyful prayer life looks like. Father, perhaps the reason our prayer lives may not be so joyful, and may be so mundane, is that we've not been shown how to pray We pray that this model that the Apostle Paul provided for us today, one of love and gratefulness, thankfulness overflowing, which is burden and challenge our hearts, that our love for you would grow, our love for others would grow. Father, that we would seek partnership and friendship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next steps we take, we would be better servants. We pray these things all.